12 o'clock here on SFM 104 to 107. Indeed, this is Midday Live, your midweek edition here on SFM. Top stories, the 2014 school year officially starts across the country and the Great Lakes Regional Summit gets underway in Luanda, Angola. These and other stories coming up shortly, but first, the news at 12. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. In the news at midday, another reported death in Mututlung and battles to bring fires under control in Australia. Good afternoon, I'm Kirit Lala. Another resident of Mototlung near Brits in the northwest has reportedly died after he allegedly tried to escape from a moving police armoured vehicle. Provincial police spokesperson Sabata Mohwabone says the man and his friend were yesterday arrested for public violence in the area during a protest about water shortages. On Monday, two other people were killed allegedly by the police during the protest. Mohwabone says the situation in the area remains calm and police are monitoring the situation. Schools are reported to have reopened in the area. The state has withdrawn its case against Durban businesswoman Sean Mpisane in the Durban Commercial Crimes Court. She was accused of submitting forged documents to obtain construction industry grading, which were used to win five public works tenders worth 140 million rand. Mpisane appeared in a packed court earlier today. Late last year, the court postponed the case to allow newly appointed National Director of Public Prosecutions, Mkolisin Klasana, time to consider Mpisane's representations. Outside the court in Pisane's supporters have been cheering. Two of the four people arrested in connection with the attempted murder of investigators in the case of Czech fugitive Rada van Kretscher are expected to appear in two separate courts. Owen Serrero is expected to appear on charges of conspiracy to murder and nine counts of vehicle hijacking. Another accused, Siboniso Mia, is to appear in the Palm Ridge Magistrates Court and Houtings East Rand. As the SABC's Edwin Cedi reports, security has been beefed up in and around the Johannesburg Magistrates Court. Serrero is accused of conspiring to murder the officers investigating rather than crack char. It's believed he's one of the men also plotting to kill forensic consultant Paul O'Sullivan. Serrero is expected to be charged with other nine counts of vehicle hijacking. Serrero's co-accused is Bonnie Somia is due to appear in the Parkridge Magistrate Court. At the same time, Serrero was brought here with three unmarked police cars under the watchful eye of heavily armed police officers. Edwin and Chidi. SABC News at the Johannesburg Magistrate Court. Basic Education Minister Angie Motsecha says the start of the 2014 academic year has been positive. Motsecha, along with other senior government officials, including Deputy President Khalema Motlante, are visiting schools across the country to assess the state of readiness. Earlier, Motlante told learners starting the new academic year to dedicate themselves to studies. Motlante's entourage has visited Oracle Ponelapele Secondary School in Midrand. The school produced Gauteng's best 2013 matric performer, Praise in the Bele. The SABC senior education journalist Angela Bolwana reports. Gauteng Metric best performer Praise Ndebele has put his school on the map. The Deputy President and the Minister are both here to thank the school for the 2013 metric performance. This school is just one of the many poor schools that have performed well. They have led a paradigm shift in education where poor schools have been known to be poor performers. The class of 2013 on Gauteng showed that even these schools can come out tops. Most of the best performing learners in this province are from such schools. These are no fee-paying schools that also serve meals to learners. Angela Bologna, CBC News, Ivory Park. 
Limpopo Premier Stanley Matabata says he's confident that all schools in the province have received books and stationery. He was speaking during his visit to Chivase Secondary School. However, Matabata has pleaded with schools which may not have received books to immediately phone him and MEC Dikeledi Mahadzi. Matabata says he looks forward to a meaningful academic year. We are hopeful and uh, we are sort of convinced that uh, all the schools have received their textbooks and stationaries. But if by any way or by any means you find that there are those schools which doesn't have textbooks, please, please make it a point that the second managers know about that matter so that they can attend to it immediately. Or they must even call the MEC or even the Premier to make it a point that those schools do get textbooks immediately. And fire crews in Australia are battling to bring more than a dozen fires under control as a heat wave continues across the south of the country. Aircraft are dropping water on the worst affected areas. The BBC's John Donison reports. In the state of Victoria, a total fire ban has been enforced. Firefighters say more than 250 blazes were started by lightning strikes overnight. Most have now been extinguished, but with the heat not expected to ease until the weekend, officials are warning of difficult days ahead. It's a similar picture in the states of New South Wales and South Australia. It's been another exhausting day at the Australian Open tennis in Melbourne. On Tuesday, a player and a ball boy both collapsed on court, with some calling the hot conditions inhumane. Recapping the top story at 12 o'clock, another resident of Motutlong near Brits in the northwest has reportedly died after he allegedly tried to escape from a moving police, police armoured vehicle. For SFM News, I'm Kirit Lala, back with headlines at 12.30. Midday Live on SAFM, 104-107. It's uh, six and a half minutes past 12. This is Midday Live. What do you make of uh, the first day of... Uh, the schooling year today, we were, were there any glitches wherever you are uh, or was it uh, smooth sailing? Did you witness any challenges with uh, teaching and uh, learning material, teachers not being at school, broken windows in some schools? Well, unfortunately, uh, many schools in our, in our townships uh, do have uh, broken windows and uh, vandalized classes. But generally, how was it? Was it uh, did you get a sense that uh, things are really going to be uh, different this year? at the back of um, best ever metric results in 2013. Uh, do uh, cannot connect with us, 34701. Uh, you can also email us midday live at sabc.co.za. Uh, before we go to Pumzile Mlangeni, who is um, uh, in Brits, I, w- I would like also to touch on President Jacob Zuma in Luanda, Angola, to attend the Great Lakes uh, Region Summit. Many presidents have arrived there already. President Omar Bashir of Sudan is represented at the summit by his vice president. So is the president of Zambia, uh, is also represented by his vice president. But uh, a very interesting picture appearing online uh, on of President Zuma with uh, Paul Kagame of Rwanda. Uh, the caption there reads, uh, President Zuma, Kagame and Uhuru enjoy fruits at the dinner uh, reads the caption well they are about to indulge in in fruits but uh, do you really think that president zuma will have a, a one-on-one with uh, kagame uh, at the back of uh, the latest developments here in the country where uh, a rwandan spy chief was killed and uh, subsequent uh, utterances attributed to the foreign minister in rwanda and uh, the president there what about kosatu finally the federation charges Zuelinzi mavavi this uh, uh, as a uh, 
really, I, I don't know what you make of this uh, matter of justice delayed, justice denied, or Kosatu wanted to be thorough. How has this weakened Vavi, if at all, or has it uh, strengthened him? Somewhat. We welcome your SMS 34701. To our top story this hour, Basic Education Minister Angie Motsecha says the start of uh, the 2014 academic year has been positive. Motsecha, along with uh, other senior government officials, including Deputy President Khalima Mutlante, are visiting schools across the country to assess their state of readiness. In the Western Cape, Education MEC there, Donald Grant, says there's been a steady increase in school enrollment in uh, the province over the past few years. Nearly a million learners have registered for this year. In Limpopo, teachers and learners at Chibase and Tengwe Secondary Schools outside Toyando say they are ready to start the 2014 academic year. Bumalanga, pupils in the low field of the province were already on their way to school uh, very early despite heavy downpour. In Pakistan, on Gauteng's West Rand, learners are in high spirits as schools reopen. Last year, violent service delivery protests disrupted schooling in the area, forcing government to move learners to special uh, study camps outside the township where they received tuition and uh, wrote exams. We'll be talking to uh, our senior education specialist, Angela Bolowane. But for now, let's say um, good afternoon to Pumzile Mlangeni. Pumzile, you are in Madibeng municipality near Breds uh, in the northwest, uh, where schools have reopened for the 2014 academic year and calm in the area has been restored. Residents of uh, Mototlung and uh, Demonsville went on a rampage due to a shortage of water in these areas. Just talk us through the situation. Uh, what has been happening since this morning? Afternoon, Bongi. Well, this morning, uh, the scenery, they, it looked different from what uh, was happening two days ago. We saw learners today making their way to various schools uninterrupted, and also those who could not go to work. Uh, for the past two days, they also made their way. Public transport was also allowed into the area after being bad uh, for the uh, past two days. Today, the situation has normalized uh, it's a business as usual, businesses, local businesses also opening, local clinics and libraries. We've seen people uh, moving on with their life, and most of the community members saying that uh, they, they they did not uh, plan to protest today because of what happened yesterday. We saw ministers coming in and also uh, giving them a time frame to be patient and saying that if uh, they do not need, uh, if they do not keep the chronic, uh, that's when uh, they will begin to protest again. Also, again, they say uh, they respect uh, learners and they want um, uh, learning to continue as normal and not interrupt classes. Uh, the situation is very calm today and everyone seems to be... Uh, uh, continuing with their own businesses. But uh, the mood that is permeating there, uh, uh, Pumzile, is it that of uh, uh, schools reopening really and, and people being excited at that? Or really, you, 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 when, when you assess and when you, when you feel it, is it that of uh, really an angry community that is uh, still uh, not uh, received water so far, piped water, and still receiving uh, water in, in tankers? Well, actually, the mood that you get there is they want to allow kids to go to school, but they're not happy with what's been happening. We spoke to some parents who are accompanying their children to school. They think they can never be happy. Uh, three people have now died as a result, and that doesn't mean that they will stop and move on with their lives. 
there is still some bit of anger there. They want to see change. They want to see positive change coming in and in the area. They are still awaiting for water tanks to come. Uh, some do not have water. Some said even they were sharing the same water with their children this morning um, to bath. I think that this has not happened yesterday. They promised that tanks will be around the area delivering water. But the situation hasn't changed. By 12 o'clock, uh, again, uh, people were still waiting. We were uh, in, in some area where there's a funeral where one uh, person died. And you would understand that they are busy. They need water more than uh, anyone there, actually. And they were still awaiting water. Uh, they've been calling, they've been, they, they were promised that there will be water. So generally, everyone is not happy, but they are just, uh, for the sake of the children to go to school and classes not to be disrupted, they decided to put this on hold uh, until Friday when we see uh, what will happen. Kubzi, uh, they also talked to us about uh, the, the reports that uh, we, we received uh, that uh, the, 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 the there was uh, another resident who who died after uh, allegedly he be trying to escape from a moving police armored vehicle uh, so now this brings to 3 the number of people that have uh, that have died there uh, at, at, in the wake of uh, these the, the rampage that that we've seen in 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 the Matibeng municipality. What can you tell us about that? Because also we're getting contradicting reports. Earlier we were reporting three people dead, and the police said no, it's two. In fact, we said four, and the police said three. The other one is critical in the hospital. What is happening? Well, since uh, the beginning of the week, there have been many uncom- unconfirmed reports. Uh, in relation to the death of the people. Initially, yesterday, we confirmed with the police just to get charity. They said the death toll remained at two yesterday. Uh, but there were also talks about uh, a third person dying, and actually even a fourth one, uh, but that was from the community members. The police say they can they could only confirm two. And yes, there was one who was hospitalized in hospital after being uh, taken by the police early morning when protests broke at about 6 a.m. Uh, that's the person who died uh, this morning. Uh, we spoke to the family. The family said, yes, uh, they did confirm to us that he's dead. Uh, but we're trying to get uh, the police to actually get their side of the story. Uh, but what, uh, from the family side, we heard that he was on his way to work uh, when he was passing by uh, the protesters and the commotion just uh, uh, started there and he happened to be one of those people who were taken away by the police. Uh, we spoke to the mother uh, who said that he, she could not find any injuries on the body or any sign that he was shot by the police and a post-mortem result showed that he had a fractured skull. He okay. suffered from brain damage, hence he died. Thank you very much, uh, Pumzile Mlangeni, our reporter in uh, the Matibeng municipality near Brits in uh, the northwest. Let's go to the Eastern Cape now. And uh, we say good afternoon to the spokesperson for the Department of uh, Education there, uh, Malibongo Mtima. Uh, Mr. Mtima, it's good to have you on the radio. Good afternoon, man. Thanks for the opportunity. 2014 academic year. How how has it gone so far? So far, everything is running smooth because we have received reports from 22, in fact, 23 now uh, districts uh, confirming that schooling has started. Learners have been uh, receiving books from their various schools and uh, teaching and learning has started. Those that are benefiting from scholar transport have been transported. Those that are benefiting from uh, school nutrition have eaten today their meals, which means uh, everything satisfies, runs smooth. 
Okay, so no no negative reports in the province across the province. Thus far, say, we're, we're having a, a call center that is receiving um, uh, complaints or problems, acting as a nerve center, of course, also providing solutions to where, in fact, it's supposed to provide solutions to where there are problems. But of the 23 districts, all of them have reported that um, there is nothing um, um, urgent or nothing problematic thus far. Okay, but for the Eastern Cape, really, yes, today is uh, one of the biggest days in the uh, uh, academic year. It's the start of the year, but but yours is, is different because uh, the, the pass rate, particularly matriculants, has not been that great. So where is your area of focus right now as we start the year today? Um, one of the core areas was resourcing some schools to ensure that teaching and learning uh, takes place. When I mean resourcing, provision of uh, teachers, provision of learner teacher support material, which is stationary, um, ahead of time. Hence, last year, by December, we reported that 100% uh, books have been delivered to schools. It was part of the plan to make sure that on the first day of schooling, everything runs smooth. And also, we remember we had a problem with temporal teachers. Those temporal teachers are in the system. They are going to continue teaching. And the nerve center acts as, uh, in fact, receives reports to schools where, for instance, a certain school will report that one of our, um, of our temporary or of our teachers didn't come through. He passed on. And as such, we will intervene by ma- making sure that um, we get a, a teacher within the system who will be reporting on the second day of schooling. All right, we thank you very much, Malibongo Mtima, who is the spokesperson for the Department of Education in the Eastern Cape. Let's come back to the studio now. Our senior education specialist, Angela Bolawana, you have been receiving reports from across the country. And, uh, of course, you are in touch with uh, the education minister from time to time, Angie Motsecha, and, and that particular department. But what can you tell us? What what has been the assessment uh, and, and, of course, coming from various districts across the country? Well, it appears that um, everybody has got their textbooks. I mean, there's no reason not to start um, with the work today. Um, uh, school government bodies were also saying that this is the first year that things have run so smoothly. So um, there really is no reason. But, you know, there's a culture that still needs to be dealt with where schools are um, on the first week they don't really uh, get into the nitty-gritties of education and they, you know, do things on the periphery like still handing out textbooks and uh, coming up with registers and, and just doing all sorts of things around education and um, not really getting um, uh, into, you know, teaching and learning. I know that uh, firsthand because that, that was the culture during my days. But next door, uh, other schools, they will start right away. But w- with us really to take about a week or two i mean we we, we really enjoyed it because we but uh, what, <laughs> i'm sure the minister of uh, basic education Angie again will be satisfied that uh, things have uh, gone smoothly thus far yeah um people were saying that this is um the year that they have seen the system really coming through. I think Limpopo was really a wake-up call and the minister was sort of focusing on making sure that, you know, the system works properly in all provinces. They changed a number of things um, in terms of procurement where they made sure that provinces actually order books on behalf of of, of schools mm. and that, you know, they are able that way to, to be able to um, distrib- make sure that distribution from warehouses to schools actually happens and that every 
every school has textbooks. So it, it seems to have worked um, what, what they changed this year. I know you're still going to be collating figures, but uh, we, we, we have uh, this problem of walk-ins, but really for, for reasons at times that are beyond uh, parents' control. Maybe they move, they change work and so on and so on. But in, in many cases, parents just not applying for their uh, little ones uh, timelessly. Well, the problem seems to be uh, most pronounced in Gauteng because, you know, at the beginning of the year, you know, things come up and people uh, change provinces and people decide to come to Gauteng and that kind of thing. So it happens here. But the province is really trying to come to grips with it, especially with early uh, registrations that they have been doing. I think last year they um, started uh, registering learners for this year in April. So, yeah, but you still have, like, as we speak now, now um, they have opened uh, centers around the province to help parents that are only coming in now looking for schools. All right. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, Angela Bolowane is our education specialist here uh, at uh, the SABC. It's at uh, 21 and a half minutes past 12. This is a Midday Live on SAFM 104 to 107. Midday Live on SAFM 104 to 107. Our top story this hour, another resident of uh, Mototlong near Bretz in the northwest has reportedly died after he allegedly tried to escape from a moving police armored vehicle. Looking at the markets this hour, gold is trading at $1,236.38 an ounce. Uh, platinum is at $1,416.10 an ounce. The rand is trading at 10 rand 91 cents against the U.S. dollar. It's at 17 rand 90 cents to the pound and it's trading at 14 rand 85 cents to the euro. How often have you left home and forgot to switch off your lights, alarm system or geezer? Taps are also easily forgettable as well. Even worse, you forgot something that could easily start a fire when unattended. Gubevu IT and security systems puts you in control of things at home while you are not there. All of this is possible with just a touch of a button on your cell phone. You can protect your valuables and will cost you no more than 100 rand a month. For peace of mind, call Gubevo IT on 079-170-5852. The Wholesale and Retail Sector invites all its stakeholders to submit their entries for the inaugural Wholesale and Retail Sector Good Practice Awards that are open to all stakeholders in the sector. The closing date for submissions is 17 January 2014. For more information, go to wrcta.org.za or send your email to gpainfo at wrcta.org.za. W and R CETA, the premier authority in skills development, exceeding our stakeholder expectations. Midday Live on SAFM, 104 to 107. The 2014 school year has officially kicked off in the Western Cape as well. This morning saw nearly a million learners go to school for the first time. Once again, it was a day filled with mixed emotions, especially for the grade ones as well as their parents. Secretary reports. There was laughter as well as a few tears from the grade ones as they officially began their schooling career all across the province. Some seemed anxious and others a bit more confident as they made their way to their classrooms. Others happily embraced their friends and chatted away to catch up on the latest news following their six-week-long holiday. Three new replacement schools opened in the province today, two in Cape Town and one in Hrabo. A further four new schools and 17 replacement schools are under construction. 
Provincial Education Minister Donald Grant, who welcomed learners at Fairview Primary School in Grassy Park, says more than 8 million textbooks have been delivered and all teacher appointments were completed last year. So our timetables were ready by the close of school on the 6th of December and we've had a very busy maintenance program during the school holidays with 130 schools receiving a maintenance facelift uh, during the school holidays. At the Rater Boss Primary School outside Mossel Bay in the Southern Cape, it was business as usual. The school is one of 27 which had been earmarked for closure by the Western Cape Education Department. But it will remain open for now, pending an application at the Cape High Court. Principal Martin Simon says many of the school's 80 pupils walked several kilometres from surrounding farms to attend school today. There are a lot of challenges. One of our challenges is the transport of the learners to the school. The most of our parents, they are getting grants and they can't afford to pay for the kids to come to school. At the English and Afrikaans Medium School, George Preparatory, some little ones were in tears after making the transition from grade R to big school. But others were quite confident about their first day. I feel brave and a little bit nervous, but not so much. Yeah, some of my friends are here. I'm maybe going to do swimming. What's your name? Aiden. What do you like about big school? See my brother. Mm-hmm. I have a joke for you, knock knock. Who's there? Luke. Luke who? Luke, my friend. <laughs> Grade 1 learners from the George Preparatory School ending that report by Segretary in George. It's 26 minutes past 12. This is a midday live on SFM 104 to 107. The force commander of uh, dwindling UN troops during Rwanda's genocide has placed the blame for the catastrophe firmly at the door of uh, the organization's member states. Ahead of uh, an event in New York to mark the 20th anniversary of uh, that fax that he sent to UN headquarters on January 11, 1994, detailing preparations of uh, the extermination campaign, Canadian military men, Lieutenant General Romeo Delare, lamented that the fact that uh, despite the many lessons learned and the new instruments available to the UN, mass atrocities remain a clear and present danger. Sean Bryce Pierce reports from New York. The words of UN Commander Romeo Delier, played by Nick Nolte in the 2004 film Hotel Rwanda, a man credited with doing much to save lives with very little international support. The real Delier reflecting on what could have been prevented 20 years ago. We permitted extremism with the signs shown to us to implement a very deliberate plan of extermination of a very specific group of the population in order to not have to share power. That is what happened. And they did it. And they nearly completely succeeded, having destroyed over 700,000 of the 1.2 million Tutsis at the time. During 100 days between April and July 1994, more than 1 million Rwandans, mainly Tutsi, would perish in an ethnic cleansing that to this day shames the world. Rwanda's UN Ambassador Richard Eugene Gathana. 
The 20th commemoration is an important occasion to remember the lives that were lost, to show solidarity with survivors and to recommit ourselves to the promise of never again in Rwanda or elsewhere in the world. The world's inaction prompted a thorough review by the UN that would in 2005 lead it to establish an initiative known as the Responsibility to Protect, where the international community is able to intervene in countries where mass atrocities, particularly genocide, are occurring, thereby superseding a nation-state's claim to sovereignty. But Delier believes current conflicts around the world are evidence of how little the world has learned from Rwanda. Sovereignty is no more an absolute for if a nation is massively abusing the human rights of its own people or can't stop it, we have the responsibility through the UN to intervene. So we've actually been given the tools to fight impunity in the field and not just in the courts afterwards. That door is open. But the nation states are reticent. They're reticent because self-interest still dominates. And the human being is still the lowest factor of intervention, let alone prevention. An instrument of prevention that is today failing the people of Syria, Central African Republic and Darfur, among others. Ambassador Ghassana also slamming the failure to eliminate the Hutu rebel group, the FDLR, that continues to cause suffering along Rwanda's border in the eastern DRC. Monosco is there since 13 years. All of us here knows what FDLR represents. Unless they do otherwise, then I will say, okay, fine, they really learned a lesson. But it seems that they didn't at all. We know that it's a genocide of forces. It's actually ashamed, ashamed to the UN, paying all those mil billions of billions of dollars. And we know, we know very well that the FDLR are still there and they're not doing anything about it, against it. What do you want us to say about that? That they learned really a lesson? No. In marking the 20th anniversary, the Global Center for the Responsibility to Protect has written an open letter to UN member states, urging them to take concrete steps during this period that demonstrates their commitment to the prevention of mass atrocity crimes through national interventions and by ratifying relevant legal treaties that prevent and punish genocide. Sherman Bricepie's SABC News at the United Nations, New York. Brilliant stuff. Nick Nolte in the movie Hotel Rwanda plays uh, Lieutenant General Romeo Dallier. If you've watched the movie, you remember that facts. It helped save millions of lives. It's just after half past. Let's say uh, good afternoon now to the news uh, uh, for the news headlines. Uh, who's reading the news today? Hello. Good afternoon, Bongi. It's Kirit here. Kirit, Police hi, have confirmed that they've opened an inquest following the death of another resident at Motutlung near Brits in the northwest. The state has withdrawn its case against Durban businesswoman Sean Mpisane in the Durban Commercial Crimes Court and Kusata Acting General Secretary Bekin Charlene Charlie says the Federation welcomes the ANC's commitment to the realisation of free education. Details on these and more at 1pm. 
Thank you very much there. Let's go now to Shadow Twala. It's Wednesday today. Shadow, good afternoon and welcome. It's the first day of uh, the school calendar year. You don't have to bother too much uh, about that. But uh, yeah, <laughs> you did that some many years ago with, with yourself and Vusi and many other people. But <laughs> Did you have to take a child to school today? Unfortunately, I was here early. My wife did that. But yeah, I'll be, I'll be fetching them from school. The joys of I'll make up. I'll make up for not taking them. To the school. joys of having a wife. Well, you know, it has been a stressful day for most parents and children. So we talked to educational psychologist Carla Cara Blackie about the emotions experienced today and how to deal with them. We also talked to a sociopreneur who has founded Desk Bags to help alleviate the need for three million school desks in South Africa, and her name is Madeline Rocha. And then we, we, we check in for an update of, uh, for, of, of with Sandra Miller of Dignity Dreams. She's the founder. And uh, she, she runs a campaign to help restore dignity by giving young girls access to reusable sanitary towels. Otherwise, mm. they stay home when they have the menstrual cycle. The, the preneur thing is, is really uh, expanding now. It started simply as uh, entrepreneurs. Then it extended to tenderpreneurs. <laughs> Now we've got such a prettiest. Yes. I like it. I like it. I really do. Okay, we'll be listening to the sociopreneur uh, and, 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 and get to understand more. But just, just ask, what, what does it mean really to be a sociopreneur? Yeah. Okay, right. we'll do. Thanks, Thanks, Thanks Bongi. We'll see you then between uh, 1 and 2 otherwise here on SFM 104 to 107. Kosati President Stumut Lamini says the Federation will be meeting NUMSA uh, later this week. Lamini has been speaking at a press conference in Bramfontein, Johannesburg. He says Kosatu has written a letter to NUMSA and that uh, the two parties would have to meet to iron out their differences. Kosatu has had a meeting uh, with NUMSA. We have written NUMSA a letter suggesting to meet with them on the 17th this coming friday or on the 24th depending which day they prefer so because we must have that meeting and uh, we must have that meeting so that we clear a number of issues i'm not going to open that meeting here because NUMSA is not here. But that meeting is very, very critical, uh, even if it means we clarify issues and can still uh, make uh, NUMSA acknowledge and appreciate the difficulty imposed by uh, their Congress decision. Kosati President Stumo Zamini and that press conference is still underway. But let's talk now to our senior political reporter, Busi Chimombe. Welcome, Busi, and good afternoon to you. Two really top stories coming out of of this, at least expected. The NUMSA meeting with Kosatu and Zuelinzi Mavavi finally receiving his charges yesterday. Just talk us through broadly what was discussed, but specifically these two issues. Well, in terms of the first issue, talking about um, the, the, the meeting with NUMSA, um, Stimo Lamini at this press conference was unwilling to actually elaborate 
in terms of exactly what specific want to speak about. But you know, uh, you know, if you had been at the NUNSA uh, Special Congress that that took place um, mid-December, you'd have an idea of some of the concerns, perhaps. Uh, that uh, Kosato has with regards to NUMSA. Uh, NUMSA came out very strongly, for instance, about the fact that um, they are going to be um, they're going to be mobilising and they're going to be getting um, members from uh, a lot of other sectors rather than uh, their, their traditional sectors. Now, in terms of that principle, um, in terms of the principle of one sector, one union, that uh, Kosato basically that is basically uh, the. the, the, the basically the what defines Kosatu. Um, you know, once you have a, an affiliate like that, basically going into other sectors and poaching and encroaching on other sectors, basically you're, 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 you, you have a situation where a, another labor federation is being formed and there's a destruction of Kosatu in terms of actually the way it works. So that would definitely be one of the key things that they're going to be talking about in terms of uh, what do we do in terms of uh, our one sector, uh, one union policy. Uh, you will also know that uh, there's been a push by NUMSA basically to make sure that a special congress uh, takes place. It is backed uh, by uh, eight other affiliates. Uh, basically a congress that is going to look at the, at the future of Kofarcha going forward, but basic, uh, basically one that they need to reinstate Zulin Zimavavi, the suspended general secretary, and actually get rid of uh, the current leadership of uh, President uh, 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 Zamini. They've actually gone to court to make sure uh, that they, this happens. So basically you have a situation where if there's going to be this kind of meeting on Friday, it would be possibly looking at some of the ways to basically come away from the brinkmanship that we have been seeing, uh, that we, we, are, we, we, are, we have seen taking place over, you know, since, since August when Mr. Vavi was suspended. Uh, and in terms of uh, your, your, your second question, in terms of Mr. Vavi and his reinstatement, because, uh, you know, the, uh, the two issues are very uh, uh, interlinked. Uh, they refused to say anything about what those additional charges are going to be. They did confirm that two days ago they actually handed a, a full charge sheet to Mr. Vavi. Um, and uh, basically they say that they, it's an internal process. They're unwilling to actually go into what exactly it is that he's charged with, uh, basically talking about managing the process with dignity and saying that if if the media or the public hears about what, is, uh, what Mr. Vavi has been charged with, uh, it will not be from, um, from uh, uh, Kosato itself. All right, I guess those issues are ongoing. The issues of one sector, one union, for instance, the issue of a special congress, those will be debated. But but I guess also another issue that is pressing right now is the issue of the elections. I mean, NUMSA has come out clearly to say that they won't be campaigning for the ANC and they're even withdrawing their, their funding. So I guess that will come out quite clearly. Precisely, uh, especially given the fact that um, this uh, media briefing that uh, we've been at has been a, a, a an all-out endorsement of uh, the ANC manifesto that we saw being unveiled in Bombela this last weekend, and uh, you will, you, you, as you know, uh, Bongi, that uh, Nunsa is the largest. Uh, uh, 
affiliate of COSARTU and basically traditionally has been at the forefront of putting forward logistical and, and resource and, and moral support uh, for, for the ANC. So in the run-up to these elections, um, the withdrawal of their support that was decided at the Congress will be a major blow in terms of um, you know uh, the, the, the mobilization campaign. So I suppose that would be one of the things that they definitely will be speaking about, perhaps trying to find a middle ground in terms of some of the things perhaps in the manifesto that Nusa has said that they are, are, are categorically against like things like uh, e-tolls, uh, the NDP as it stands at the moment, um, the youth wage subsidy, uh, all those those types of things to see if there is no way for in the third way in terms of making sure that you can actually get Nusa on board in terms of um, the election campaign, uh, but making sure that some of the concerns uh, are being looked at. Thank you very much, Busi Chimambe, our senior political reporter, t- uh, talking to us about uh, Kosato's uh, press conference that is underway right now. And, of course, uh, that meeting that is scheduled for this uh, Friday, hopefully, uh, but otherwise it will uh, be convened for, for later, as you heard uh, from Stumut Lamini, president of uh, Kosato, at 19 minutes to 1. South Africa's purchasing managers index, PMI, dipped below that of its uh, main trading partners in December coming in at 49.9 points. This is just under the key 50-point mark, which distinguishes between an expansion and a contraction in the sector. Despite the decline in outlook, the sector is relatively optimistic, at, at least for the first six months of the year. Dimakasa Lishoro fired this report for us. This is the first time in nine months that the PMI has come in below 50%, signaling a slowdown in the last month of the year. Despite the monthly decline on a quarterly basis, the index averaged 51 points for the fourth quarter, pointing to a slight expansion in the manufacturing sector. Conditions in the economy's second largest sector remain tough for most of 2013 as a result of prolonged strike action, which brought the industry to its knees. Manufacturing recorded a negative growth of 6.6% in the third quarter and this in turn contributed to the dismal 0.7% GDP growth in the third quarter of last year. Chief Economist at Efficient Group David Roth says today's figure means that the fourth quarter GDP growth will not be that great. The fourth quarter GDP growth in the, for 2013 is not going to be good. That also suggests that economic growth in 2013 is probably, probably going to be less than 2%. The good news however is that the expectations are for the next six months that things can likely pick up. The new sales orders index rose for the third consecutive month to reach 51.8 points, while the business activity index fell 4.7 points to 49.3 in December, pointing to a slowdown in production growth. The manufacturing sector has been under uh, some pressure in in recent months, um, and we expect that this trend of low single-digit growth or perhaps even a contraction on a year-on-year basis is likely to remain a feature in the short term. The employment sub-index fell from a relatively high level of 50.8 to 45.8. Analysts say this deterioration was expected. The sector has struggled to create sustained employment growth since the 2008-2009 recession. Ruot says prospects for employment in manufacturing and the economy generally remain sticky. Clearly, job creation in South Africa is simply not happening. I think part of the reason why that is simply not happening is twofold. One is that the economy is simply not growing fast enough. 
And the other one has to do with labor relations. The suggestion from the numbers are employment growth over the next couple of months is also going to disappoint. This comes after the ANC said in its manifesto launch over the past weekend that it aims to create about 6 million job opportunities. Ruiz says politics and reality are two different things. The reality is that the South African economy is not growing fast enough to create jobs and it is very unlikely that we will create a substantial number of jobs for the next year or for the next couple of years. The rent, which weakened to fresh five-year lows on Tuesday, contributed to the price component increase to 80.1 points as the weak rent placed upward pressure on prices of imported products like fuel. LaRue says manufacturers will at some stage be forced to pass on the increased costs onto consumers. This was echoed by the South African Chamber of Commerce and Industry, which said businesses have come under pressure from increasing costs and might soon start passing the increases on to consumers. So there's a tough time ahead for the consumer as well, um, also in terms of uh, prospects for more fuel price hikes on the back of the weaker end. Um, and what is also interesting with the manufacturing figures is that we've failed to see uh, the weaker end uh, providing any support to production, and this basically challenges the view that um, growth, that a weaker rand uh, is beneficial for production growth. Chances are quite good that we're going to see another hike in the petrol price, probably around about 30 to 40 cents a litre in February. The main reason for this has to do with the weaker currency. Meanwhile, activity in the Eurozone rose at its fastest pace in two and a half years in December and is now comfortably above the key 50 index level. So today's figure puts South Africa's PMI below that of its main trading partners. For SABC News in Johannesburg, I'm Dimagazo Leshoro. It's a quarter to one. With that, we give you your lunchtime market updates. Today's JSE report is brought to you by Telcom Business. Convergence. One solution, one service provider. Telecom Business. Pranana Naidu is with Sasfin Securities. Welcome. How are the markets looking today, Pranana? Bongi, market sentiment has turned this morning and global indices have been rallying following strong retail sales numbers out of the U.S. Asian markets rebound and European stocks followed, boosted further by the World Bank's decision to raise its global growth forecast to 3.2% the first time in three years. The S&P 500 gained 1% last night after better-than-expected U.S. sales reports. December retail sales were up by 0.2%, adding some relief to markets after last week's dismal employment numbers. Earnings season has kicked off with both J.P. Morgan and Wells Fargo reporting fourth-quarter results that beat analysts' expectations. Locally, the JSC has had a strong morning, with the Aussie index up over 1% so far. In corporate news, MassMart was the first of the retailers to release the eagerly awaited sales update, posting real sales growth of 7% for the full year. The company estimated a loss of $200 million in net sales due to the closing of the group's stores on the 15th of December in honor of our late president, Nelson Mandela. Looking at the local indices, we've got the gold index down 1.7%, resources 10 index up 1.3%, industrials 25 index up 1.3%, and the financials index up 0.6%. Overall, the market is up 508 points to 46,491. And the stocks on the move today, Prandana? Uh, Huleman is up 5.3% to 6.74. MassMart, after the strong sales update, up 5% to 131.00. Anglo-American, up 4.5% to 234.65. On the downside, we've got Anglo Gold down 2.2% to 134.00. 
Harmony down 2.2% to 28 rand, and Lita Healthcare down 1.9% to 2 rand 50. And your latest market indicators, please. Gold is currently $1,238 an ounce. Platinum, $1,415 an ounce. Brent crude, $104.70 per barrel. Finally, the rand is trading at 1090 to the dollar, 1789 to the pound, and 1484 to the euro. Thank you very much to Prandana Naidu from Saspin Securities. This feature was brought to you by Telcom Business. Talk to Telcom Business about getting you on the journey to convergence with a tailor-made solution. Telcom Business. Marilyn, I need a non-automated, hand-operated ink dispenser for the objective of on-paper documentation. A pen, sir? Yes. That's the word I was looking for. Using several words when one will get the job done doesn't make sense. Neither does using several providers when you can get voice, mobile, fixed, data, cloud and IT from one service provider. Call 10217, click telcom.co.za forward slash business or visit a Telcom Direct store and get a tailor-made solution. Convergence. One solution, one service provider. Telcom Business. Midday Live on SAFM. 104 to 107. We go to Cairo now, where voting has resumed in Egypt on the second day of a referendum on a new constitution. Nine people were killed yesterday in clashes between police and supporters of the deposed Islamist president, Mohamed Morsi. The military-backed government is hoping for a high turnout to endorse its proposals. Morsi's Muslim Brotherhood, which has been designated as a terrorist group, is boycotting the vote. The new charter is to replace the constitution passed under Morsi's, uh, Morsi rather, before he was removed last July. For more on this now, we are on the line to our correspondent in Egypt, Hadeyat Abdel Nabi. Welcome, good afternoon to you. How is the voting going so far? Uh, very smoothly, except for sporadic um, incidents of violence, some here, some here and there. Uh, but on the whole, it is fine until now, and the polling stations are crowded. All right, so it's uh, and uh, the, the, the polling stations also, everything is going smoothly there across the country? Across the country and the majority of the country. All right, we heard of nine people were killed yesterday in the clashes and uh, have those clashes subsided for now? Can we also see people mobilizing maybe later in the day or are you getting a sense that uh, people are just going to get on with the voting? No, people will get on on, uh, on, uh, on the voting. Uh, yesterday are 11 in big uh, areas where there is a concentration of uh, Muslim Brotherhood presence and where they decided to go to violence and uh, get engaged with uh, the police force and uh, the military. A part of that in most of Egypt, it is going on call and very, in an orderly manner. Mm. And uh, this referendum, wh- wh- what does it what does it do to 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 the whole country really? Who does it help? We saw also it talks a great deal about women and their freedom, but uh, some are looking at it and uh, saying that uh, the military is trying to 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 strengthen its hold on the country. Well, for the majority of Egyptians, it means uh, a message for stability, a message for uh, uh, prosperity, for new beginning. Uh, very few Egyptians have the outlook that the military are trying to uh, strengthen their grip on the country. Where most Egyptians don't believe so. Most Egyptians have a very high respect for the Egyptian military. 
in addition that uh, the overwhelming uh, love for the head of the military general Sisi uh, is very telling that the Egyptians have no fear of the military. And who crafted uh, this uh, referendum? Who what? Who crafted, sorry, this uh, this new constitution and if it gets uh, it gets through, then who will be credited with it? Well, it was a committee of 50 uh, Egyptians who are from all walks of life but are very prominent, led by uh, the former presidential candidate, Mr. Amr Musa. And when it passes, the credit will go to the negotiating abilities uh, and the great um, uh, compromising attitude and also um, skill of Mr. Amr Musa. All right, and, and uh, is today the last day? When can we expect the results to be announced? I think there will be projections uh, midnight tonight, uh, sometime between uh, after midnight there will be projections, but already we see that a uh, huge number of voters have gone. Uh, the projections outside the polling stations, when people ask uh, the people who voted in a sample, you get something like uh, 80% said yes. So 80% will be for the uh, memor- uh, the sorry the the, the referendum sorry yeah, the constitution 80% will be for the constitution hopefully yes because again the muslim brotherhood boycotted uh, the vote uh, well um, uh, but there is the the whole of egypt has cast for the went for a vote for the constitution so the muslim brotherhood is a absolute majority Thank you very much uh, to Hadeat Abdel Nabi, our correspondent in uh, Egypt. Just one uh, tweet here coming from Lindelani Mkiza saying that uh, Mrs. Motsecha is talking about a new minister setting their own grade 12, passing milestone to 80% for 2014. Is her term over? As Lindelani here. It's at four minutes. Make it six minutes to one. This is a Midday Live, SFM 104 to 107. Create coming up shortly. Join us this weekend on SAFM Sports Special as our coverage of the Chan Tournament continues with live crossings to all the matches. We also have European golf action from Abu Dhabi, news from the Dakar Rally, and our coverage of the Australian Open continues. We'll also chat to Roman De Beer, who has taken another huge step on his journey to becoming a Formula One driver. The young South African will be racing in GP3 in 2014 and he'll join us in studio to tell us all about it. Be sure to tune in on Saturday at 3 and Sunday at 4 for SAFM Sports Special with myself, Brad Brown, only on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Midday Live on SAFM, 104 to 107. Create is proudly presented by Business and Arts South Africa, bringing the business of the arts and the art of business together. As the country celebrates 20 years of democracy this year, a photographic exhibition titled Photographs in Black and White, Margaret Bork White and the Dawn of Apartheid in South Africa, is currently on at the Ben Susan Museum of Photography at Museum Africa in Newtown, Johannesburg. The exhibition is curated by Alex Lichtenstein, Associate Professor of History at the Indiana University in the United States. 
He tells us who Margaret Bork White is and her impact on photojournalism during the 30s through to the 50s. Margaret Bork White in her day, that is in the 30s and the 40s and early 50s, was probably the best known photojournalist, maybe in the world in fact. She was a staff photographer for Life magazine. She did many of the great stories of her day visually before the internet, before television. She was the one who brought history to the pages of a news magazine. So she covered World War II. She covered the independence of and partition of India, the funeral of Gandhi, the Dust Bowl crisis in the United States, the Great Depression, the assault on Moscow by the Germans, and in 1950 she came to South Africa to document Afrikaner nationalism and apartheid. So she was one of the best-known photojournalists and someone who really was at the right place at the right time in her era. I think that's a very important part of her identity, that she was in many ways a feminist before the word. She was fearless. She insisted on being allowed to go anywhere that a male photojournalist would be allowed to go for instance, on bombing raids with the U.S. Air Force down into a gold mine or a, a barracks in South Africa, pushing to the front at Gandhi's funeral. So she was fearless and uh, very unusual for her day as a female photojournalist and a combat photographer as well. Dudu Maronsela is the curator at the Ben Susan Museum. It is a very important historical project because Margaret Book White she was the first photographer to introduce visuals of apartheid to the global communities. According to Liechtenstein, Borkwhite's assignment to South Africa resulted in two stories on apartheid, one focusing on Afrikaner nationalism and the second documenting the injustice done to black South Africans. The first one was really about the rise of Afrikaner nationalism. She arrives in South Africa December 16, 1949, and attends the inauguration of the Fort Herker Monument. 250,000 white nationalists, concessionary speech by Smuts, a triumphant speech by Milan, an unapologetic embrace of the Afrikaner ideal of a white nation. That's her first story. It was critical, but not harsh. And my sense and my interpretation is that she was at least delicate with her host. She was there on assignment to get access to the things she wanted to do. She had to placate white power, essentially. It's clear to me, though, that her second story, which was what she called South Africa and its problem, where she went down into the mines and documented the migrant labor system and looked at the tot system on the Western Cape farms and went to a prison farm in the Eastern Transvaal. That was the story she was really after. And she was a very quick learner. She very rapidly was able to understand how the system of apartheid worked and how it was deeply embedded in the system of mine and farm labor. The exhibition starts with one of Borkwhite's most iconic photographs, that of two black gold miners deep underground. In some ways, the way I began the exhibit was, and the way I display it, is with the iconic photograph that I think many, many people know. And indeed, I have a case where I show that this is a photo that has been reproduced by black activists in the United States in the 1970s, and indeed by Amandla magazine right after the Marikana massacre. And that's the image of two gold miners deep underground, standing, staring at the camera. But part of what I wanted to do was dig beneath the surface of that image and think about what else she saw and what other pictures she took, many of which did not appear in Life magazine. Liechtenstein believes that Borkwhite was a predecessor of resistance photography. 
photography. And he says we'll see a lot of this in the upcoming exhibition, The Rise and Fall of Apartheid, which opens at Museum Africa in February. Almost by chance, this exhibit will coincide, starting in February, with an enormous exhibit, which is a photographic exhibit, much of which is struggle photography, going from the 1940s all the way through the 1980s. And the first section has a few photographs by Margaret Bourke White, in fact. So I think there is actually a direct link. I mean, that Bork White is the predecessor to the struggle photography that emerges first around drum and then beyond in, in the 60s and the 70s. Photographs in black and white, Margaret Bork White and the Dawn of Apartheid in South Africa, is currently showing at the Ben Susan Museum of Photography at Museum Africa, after which it will travel to the Michaelis Galleries in Cape Town in April and then in June onto the Durban Art Gallery. I'm Michelle Constant. This feature was produced by Monique Stunder and you can email me on create at barsa.co.za. Create, proudly brought to you by Business and Arts South Africa, creating new opportunities for business arts partnerships. Email create at barsa.co.za. Well, we couldn't get to Luanda, Angola, where the fifth ordinary summit of heads of state and government of the International Conference on the Great Lakes region is uh, underway. Issues that are expected to be uh, discussed there, issues uh, uh, affecting the region, especially that of security in Central African Republic, South Sudan and Kenya. And uh, the countries are Angola, Burundi, Central African Republic, Congo, Democratic Republic of Congo, Kenya, Uganda, Rwanda, Sudan, South Sudan, Tanzania and Zambia. And that does it for your Wednesday edition of Midday Life. One o'clock and it's time for the news.